Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. There are things that go bump in the night, and we are the ones who bump back. Somewhere in the cosmos, perhaps, intelligent life may be watching these lights of ours, aware of what they mean. Or do our lights wander a lifeless cosmos? I couldn't help at one point in our discussions with General Secretary Gorbachev. I couldn't help but say to him, just think how easy his task and mine might be in these meetings that we held. If suddenly there was a threat to this world from another planet outside in the universe, well, I don't suppose we could wait for some alien race to come down and threaten us, but I think that between us we can bring about that realization. Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to another episode of Cryptique, where Ryan and I bring you stories about the paranormal, forbidden knowledge, conspiracy theories, and hidden history. Go ahead and hit the follow button if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Also, don't forget to email case suggestions to crypticpodcast at gmail.com. We've all read books. Some we've loved, some we've had to read in school, some for religious purposes. But tonight, we're going to discuss one of the most mysterious works in history. What are we talking about tonight? The Codex Gigas, or the Devil's Bible. Well, let's talk about the dimensions of the book to begin with, because it is a massive undertaking to have authored and illustrated this book. The Devil's Bible is three feet tall, 20 inches wide, and a little over eight and a half inches thick. It contains 310 pages made from vellum from 160 donkeys. You care to take a guess on what vellum is? I had to look it up. I didn't look it up because I'm fairly certain I know what it is. I think it's like a very thinly cut leather. Yes, donkey skin. Yeah, I didn't know. Well, I guess vellum applies to more than just donkeys, but in this case, we're talking about 160 poor donkeys. It's an interesting material to choose to use. Yeah, I don't know what was popular back then, but... Probably something hard-wearing like that, I guess. I guess so. When I think about working with leather, which I've tried to do before, I feel like leather's kind of a... When it's thin, it's like a really not very versatile material. Mm-hmm. You know, it tends to curl and... Like when it get, well, like when paper gets wet, mm-hmm. you you can sometimes dry it out and it's okay. <laughs> but like you get leather wet especially really thin leather, not okay. Or if it gets too hot or if it's around fire or something, like really not okay. Well, that's what they chose for whatever reason. I don't... Maybe just because it's creepy. (laughs) That helps. Written on donkey skin. Yes. So originally it contained 320 pages, but at some point the last 10 pages were cut out and removed from the book, and I could not find any information on what may or may not have been contained on those last 10 pages. Something they don't want you to know. Yes, an even worse secret than what's already printed in the book itself. It weighs 165 pounds. What do you think about that? What What do you think the heaviest book you've ever picked up weighs? <sighs> probably a Bible. Mm-hmm. Probably like 
you know, an actual Bible at a church. Uh, the heaviest looking book I have is this old dictionary I got from my grandparents. It's mm-hmm. like six inches thick. It's massive, but I don't, I don't know what it's made of because it's really, really light. Yeah. And I used to enjoy, like when I was a kid, lugging that thing around every once in a while, like because you know before <laughs> the internet or whatever, if you needed to look something up, right? And it looks like I was this massively strong little kid because I had this giant book, but it's super super light for some reason. Huh. Uh, but probably like I was an altar boy. Not mm-hmm. to, I hope that doesn't color anybody's opinion of me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if people have opinions about that, but yeah, I was. Uh, you know, I was one of those kids who would like hold the Bible sometimes for the yeah. priest to read out of. Mm-hmm. And some of those are pretty heavy and fairly large. but Especially n- when you're a little kid. Yeah, but they got nothing on three feet tall and 165. I mean, I didn't weigh 165 pounds until I was like a junior in high school. <laughs> yeah, that would be my fighting weight. But yeah. that's a long ways off. It contains quite a bit of information and that's one reason why it is obviously so big and thick and heavy. Uh, it contains the Christian Bible in its entirety. So Old Testament and New Testament. So right there, it's probably going to be heavier than any Bible you've ever picked up. Mm-hmm. So it contains the Jewish War and Jewish Antiquities by Flavius Josephus, an encyclopedia by St. Isidore of Seville, and the Chronicle of Bohemia, written by a Bohemian monk named Cosmas. In addition to these texts, there are a number of shorter texts included as well on medical practices, penitence, and of course, our favorite... Exorcisms. Exorcisms. That's right. Mm, Boy. The legend goes that it was completed in a single night by a monk known as Herman the Recluse. After breaking his monastic vows, the monk was sentenced to death by being walled up. So this is like an Edgar Allan Poe thing here. Yeah. Attempting to save his own life, he made a deal that he would write a book complete with all the world's human knowledge in exchange for his freedom. The catch was that he only had one night to complete it. Facing this impossible task, the monk called on the devil to help complete the book in exchange for his soul. The book was finished with the help of Satan himself, and a large portrait was included in the middle of the book, supposedly as a tribute to its true author. So it's got a giant picture of the devil mm-hmm. in the middle of it. And then opposite is what looks like a heavenly type kingdom. But uh, have you ever thought how awful it would be to be walled up? It's basically just being locked in a closet and never being able to come out and you just starve to death or, you know, perish from uh, dehydration, hopefully before, you know, before you just starve to death. But yeah, I, I actually have kind of a, I, I don't know if you would call it like a, a fear of enclosed spaces mm-hmm. exactly, but I, I do know that I don't like being restricted, mm-hmm. but it's weird because I like being like tightly cuddled up in something when I'm sleeping. Yeah. yeah like a sleeping bag or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. I like being enclosed. Like if I could sleep in some kind of coffin with like ventilation <laughs> and air conditioning that that'd be probably about about perfect for me but then you're a vampire like if you put something heavy on if you put this book on top of it and then i couldn't get out <laughs> that would <laughs> that would be horrifying i remember as a kid realizing it uh in like a pumpkin patch or something doing one of those hay mazes mm-hmm. 
you know, like getting in and it's like, well, what if I get to a place where I'm just like too tall or long or, you know, whatever to like get around this corner and then I have to try to go back or like, I just remember being a kid and realizing like how, what, it, what it might be like to be trapped even for just a little while in like a dark enclosed space. Yeah. And I see these people that are spelunkers and go into caves and especially the ones that do it with underwater caves. Mm hmm. And they squeeze through a tight little hole and they're not really sure what's on the other side. And I just like that gives me anxiety. That's it's just awful to, to even see other people do that. It, you know, kind of gives me chills. Yeah. My fiance and I, we watch uh, Destination Fear. Mm -hmm. Not sure if you're familiar with the show, mm -hmm. but a lot of the time before they do whatever, you know, adventure they're going to do their investigation. Yeah. They'll do some other kind of activity. Then it's just like this kind of a fun, lighthearted thing that they'll do usually. But one of them was like you're saying spelunking. And yeah, you watch these, I'm going to call them kids. Cause I think they're in like their early to mid twenties, mm -hmm. but they're, going down this sort of stream that goes into this cave and they squeeze through these little tight spaces. Now they do know what's there because mm -hmm. it's a guided thing, but yeah, just watching them squeeze through that. And it's like, how do you know you're going to fit? Right. You know, like some of them are real. Well, they're all fairly thin, but it's like mm. still, yeah. you know, don't eat a candy bar after you get through that. <laughs> yeah. Like you watch the smallest one go through like the girl who's in the group. She's probably the thinnest one. And like, it looks like she has trouble squeezing through. It's like, if I was the bigger dude, like the guy who's like six foot two in there, like me in real life, <laughs> mm -hmm. like, no thanks. And there's even a point in there where they're like, where's Dakota? Cause Dakota's the main person mm -hmm. and he, they don't see him come through. And then you hear his voice and everybody jumps and he's just like sitting off to the side. He's like, yep, I took a hard pass on that. I went a different route. <laughs> it's like, there's no way I'm squeezing through there, especially in the water. Good for him. I, I have no idea what it would be like to be walled up like that, but I do know I wouldn't like to be trapped for even 15 minutes. Based on the amount of text and details of the illuminations, it's been estimated that it took as long as 30 years to finish the book. A single scribe handwrote and illustrated the entire book, a colossal undertaking that the National Library of Sweden estimates would have taken between 5 and 30 years to complete. So that's a pretty big range. Yeah, I, I think what they're saying is in the most extreme case, it could have been done in five years if it was like 12 hour shifts, 16 hour shifts doing it. Yeah. And I, I think we'll get into that in a few minutes here. But yeah, so between five and 30 years. So I, I guess an average person, it would have taken 30 years and a very skilled scribe, like you said, that worked day and night, you know, seven days a week could have possibly mm. done it in five years under the most extreme circumstances. But that that seems unlikely. And five years is a lot longer than one night. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's no record of even how much ink it would have taken to write the entire thing. That's a good point. Yeah, I used to write with a fountain pen because I was that kind of kid. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you had to refilm every once in a while. It's not like a ballpoint pen where it seems like, where you're more likely to lose or break the pen before you run out of ink. Right. <laughs> Guy must have had like a bucket of ink in there with him. Yeah, in multiple colors. 
I mean, the picture of the devil's in red and green and mm -hmm. all sorts of colors that looks look like they were, you know, mixed. So, yeah, I specifically saved number seven for you. So go ahead. In 1594, the Devil's Bible was brought to Prague from the Brumov Monastery, where it had been kept since the year 1420. King Rudolf II asked to borrow the Devil's Bible. He promised the monks that when he was finished with the book, he would return it, which, of course, he never did. That son of a bitch. The Devil's Bible has been given its name because of a full-size portrait of the Devil. Portraits of the Devil were common during the Middle Ages, but this particular portrait is unique. The image is very big, 19 inches tall. The devil is crouching and facing forward. He is naked, apart from an ermine cloth. And I had to look that up too. Uh, ermine is worn as a sign of royalty. It is believed that the devil wears ermine in this image to demonstrate that he is the prince of darkness. Hmm. He is depicted as having large claws, red-tipped horns, a green head, small eyes with red pupils, and two long red tongues. It's kind of the uh, standard image of what people tend to think of when they think of Satan. You know, even though Satan was supposed to be the most beautiful angel ever created, you know, since the beginning of time, he's always been portrayed as uh, fiendish, disgusting, ugly, monstrous. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, that kind of is an advantage for him because when he appears as beautiful he is not as intimidating and mm -hmm. can persuade people a little bit easier. Like, Hey, look at me. I'm good looking. I'm not, I don't have goat horns and, you know, bat wings and stuff. So anyway, that's my little aside. No. Yeah. People tend to trust people who look good. It's one of mm -hmm. those things that you see in job interviews and, you know, happens in uh, people's appearances matter a lot. Mm -hmm. Like the Elizabeth Holmes trial that's been going on over Theranos. I was listening to NPR and they were talking about how she's done things to her appearance to make her look more sympathetic. And mm -hmm. she, I think she let slip that she was pregnant or might be pregnant or something like that mm -hmm. to try to get, you know, more sympathy. Mm -hmm. But the idea of the devil being beautiful, there's a speaking of Destination Fear. This was a place that they investigated on that show. Actually, it's called Loftus Hall in ireland okay and it is one of the most haunted supposedly most haunted uh mansions in the world if i'm remembering the story right it was built for some kind of night in like 1350 mm -hmm. but the most famous story is that you know there was this night that the family was you know just doing their thing and it was storming out and a handsome young man showed up who was lost and was looking for shelter. Cause this place is like kind of pretty close to the shore, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not really around any other towns or settlements or anything. And because he looked the way he looked, you know, he looked like a well-kept gentleman. They let him in and they invited him to dinner with them and to play cards and kind of hang out. And as they played cards, the daughter of the family dropped something. And when she leaned down under the table, she saw that instead of feet, he had cloven hooves. Mm. And when she said something about it, he, you know, reacted in this violent way 
burst into a ball of flame and shot through the ceiling. <laughs> but apparently there's been a lot of, uh, I don't know, a mix between misfortune and just shady stuff happening in that house over the last, you know, couple hundred years. And a lot of it is attributed to this visit. But I think the the this depiction of him, because I, I have the picture pulled up, is kind of different from most of them that I've seen. Just the, it looks like he's got a headdress kind of thing on. Mm-hmm. That the horns are coming out of or coming through. His face is green. His body's not. His, you know, nails are red. Like his nails, I've seen a lot of girls in St. Louis and nails like that. <laughs> but <laughs> apart from that, it's not like the goat-headed, you know, kind of lumbering monster we usually think of. Mm-hmm. I think he's got kind of a trolley look to him in the picture. Mm-hmm. Like you'd see him under a bridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Let's get a word from our sponsor. Stay tuned, Crypt Keepers. Hey, what's up, Crypt Keepers? Are you enjoying the show? If you haven't already, I suggest taking my true crime podcast, Exploring Evil, for a test drive. Exploring Evil focuses on lesser-known serial killers, occult murders, and murders with a paranormal twist, so it should be right up your alley. The Magdalena Soli episode features a prostitute who convinced a Mexican village she was a goddess. She presented with psychosis, religious delusions, delusions of grandeur, sexual perversions, sadism, incest, fetishism, vampirism, and pedophilia. You don't want to miss that one. In the Indian Blood Farm, we cover a case where a man had an outbuilding who was keeping the downtrodden. He kept them weak by continuously draining blood to sell to the local hospitals who were running on short supply. But one man escaped and told the world what was really happening. How about the Body Snatchers episode where corpses had their body parts replaced with PVC pipes so they could be sold for a profit? In the Antron Singleton case, we cover a rapper who killed and ate pieces of a woman. There's always something new and interesting to listen to and a lot of twists and turns. So check out Exploring Evil everywhere you find Cryptique. Hey, my name is Ryan. And I'm pretty sure I'm Joe. And we are the hosts of Movie Hell, a podcast all about movies and pop culture. We're two buddies who talk about this stuff anyway and wanted to share our own madness with all of you. Yeah, we have these discussions anyway and rant and rave about movies, TV, and pop culture in general, so why not share it? The objective of Movie Howl is to bring you reviews and discussions of flops to avoid, new stuff to see, and hidden gems that might end up being your new favorite. Whether you're looking for that perfect movie for Friday night or wondering if anybody else found Mr. Nobody as unsettling as you did, I'm sure there's something for everyone to enjoy, and if not, let us know and we can always learn and improve. Ah, boy, do we have room to improve. You can listen to Movie Howl on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and pretty much anywhere else fine podcasts are curated.
Welcome back to Cryptique in the story of the Devil's Bible. On the opposite page of the portrait of the devil is an image of the heavenly city. This has been interpreted as the heavenly Jerusalem mentioned in the book of Revelation. It was common in the Middle Ages to leave book spreads on display to convey a message to those who saw it. It is believed that the message intended here is to show the rewards of a God-fearing life on one page and the horrors of a sinful life on the other. At the end of the Thirty Years' War between Catholics and Protestants, Sweden looted Prague and took the entirety of the collections of Emperor Rudolf II, including the Codex Gigas. At the time, Queen Christina of Sweden had a habit of stealing books from other nations as war booty and using them to enhance her own country's libraries. Uh, wasn't war booty your nickname in high school? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that is so fucking good (laughs) Poland, Germany, the Baltic states and Denmark were among the places whose bookshelves she ransacked in the name of knowledge it was displayed at the Swedish Royal Library from 1649 to 2007 and was briefly loaned back to Prague and placed on display at the Czech National Library from 2007 to 2008 Fire tore through the castle in 1697. The Codex Gigas was thrown out a window to prevent it from being engulfed in flames. Though damaged by the four-story drop, it survived. One person standing beneath the window is said to have been injured in the process, says the National Library of Sweden, evoking an amazing image. And that's what I imagined even before reading that line, (laughs) is that there's somebody below who got smashed like a grape by this 165-pound book coming from like 40 feet up. It would be like a giant concrete block dropping on you. Yeah. The Codex Gigas was rebound in 1819 and its damaged leaves repaired. The restored manuscript is currently on view at the National Library of Sweden in Stockholm as part of the library's treasures exhibit. In 2008, National Geographic produced a 51-minute documentary devoted to, in its words, the cursed text. That was a great show. That was where I actually found out about the Codex Gigas and... It talks all about what we talked about, and I just thought it was something that would be really interesting for you guys to hear about. There's no stories of it being haunted or, you know, cursing the owners like the uh, Emperor Rudolph II and then Queen Christina of Sweden. It did not, you know, there's no stories of them being haunted or anything by the book, but uh, it's very interesting And it's very mysterious. And Mm -hmm. you guys should definitely duck, duck, go the photos of it because it is a massive creation and it shows people holding it so you can get a true size of how big it is. Mm -hmm. Looking at pictures of somebody turning the pages of this book almost looks like somebody making a bed and like pulling (laughs) a sheet across. Like it's that it's it's really bizarre. You may be like, oh, three feet tall. Like I've seen big books before, but you really need to look it up. Final thoughts for this. I, I'm not really sure that I'm totally convinced that it's like, I, I don't know. I'm just not sure what to make of the story. There's not much to the story. And I, I wonder why it's attributed to, you know, selling your soul. As opposed mm-hmm. to a miracle. Yeah. You know, it's supposed to be a monk. And if he's repentant for whatever it is he's done, you know, it could be a miracle. 
it just occurred to me, you know, I was thinking like they're, they're basically saying it's impossible that somebody could have done this in a day. Right. It's basically impossible that somebody could have done this in less than five years. Mm -hmm. And I've recently been rewatching some of Vikings and there's this moment where Ragnar, you know, who befriends this English, um, I guess he's supposed to be a monk. What is a miracle? Miracles are things which are impossible to do. That's the most explain it to me like I'm five definition of a miracle. And that's what this is. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. I wonder, you know, if it's like we've talked about before, like the darker version of the story is usually the more compelling one. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I never thought that, you know, it's just as possible that, like you said, he was repentant and then received help from angels or something. If if the mm -hmm. book was truly completed in one evening, I think it's more likely that it was spread out, you know, over at least five years. But mm -hmm. it also occurred to me that none of us can know the thoughts of God or the thoughts of the devil. But it would seem to me that if the devil helped write this, he would want to put things in there that would, you know, push people away from God. Maybe, mm -hmm. um, maybe even some spells or satanic verses or things like that where he could even trick people if they're reading it out loud to perform a spell or something. Yeah. And you'd expect some kind of haunting type activity with it, mm -hmm. which like you said, I did, I didn't hear anything about that. Yeah. And what research I did, I saw nothing about strange events happening near it, but maybe that's, I don't know. I could have missed it. Maybe somebody out there is listening, has heard some story of a haunting or something like that related to it, but I haven't. All right, Crypt Keepers, that's going to wrap it up for the story of the cursed text written by Satan himself. We hope you enjoyed the show. Go ahead and subscribe to the show if you haven't already and tell a friend. Email case suggestions and stories to crypticpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out Movie Hell and Exploring Evil. And on behalf of Ryan and I, have a great night. No, the only other comment I was going to make during the show was, uh, like, in a single night, where do you get all that material? Like, not even just the ink, but the vellum. Right. It's like, where do you get 160 donkeys and who peels them to make the vellum? Or whatever. <laughs> like, how yeah. that works. You just order, like, from the ancient version of Hammer Mill, do you just order a box of vellum? Or do you have to make it yourself? Yeah. I need three asses of vellum, stat. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but no. Being that it was at a monastery, it may have yeah, had things have available. But mm -hmm. you know, it's it, it seems odd that they would just give him you know that amount of stuff. I guess like I, I mean, I would think they'd go in with like a an inkwell and a quill or whatever, you know, a fountain pen, and you know maybe. 20 pages you know if you use all that give us a call